Apparently, it makes me quite marryable. Who knew? Ooh, of course it does. Yeah. <laughs> of course it does. Listen, like there's a lot of like dudes out there that are really digging Taylor Swift. I like Taylor Swift. I don't mind. Trent likes Taylor Swift. Like people are on board with the 1989. Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now when we're lower in the floor. The band is blistering, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, Welcome to the Whiskey Topic, the weekly podcast that tends to get off topic. My name is Mark Bylock. I'm the author of The Whiskey Cabinet, and my co-host is Jamie Johnson, who runs a private but approachable bourbon club here in Toronto, Canada. You can also find our podcast on the website whiskey.buzz. Um, so today's topic is not going to be about whiskey. We're actually talking about bitters. And we love bitters because we love our cocktails. And bitter, as, as somebody once put to me, bitters really bring a cocktail together. Um, and that's really why we're here. Um, so we've got from Frape and Sons, we've got uh, Justin and Giovanni, um, associates in this project of uh, Frape and Sons. You guys are located all the way in Thunder Bay. Uh, right. For our American audience, that's... Far. Three, three hours north of Duluth, Minnesota. So if you think Midwestern U.S. is more it's not uh, that far. where we are. Yeah. yeah. From us, it's far. It's like 17 yeah. and hours. We think, and we think we're the center of the universe. So. Well, I was born here. I still think it's the center of the universe. Right. <laughs> but we wanted to bring you here. You guys are actually here for a show, and we, you guys listen to podcasts. It would be great to have you on Correct. Uh, and talk about bitters, because this is a topic on our list. We're like, this yep. is something we need to cover. Um, I once looked into making bitters, and I was told it's way too damn hard, and don't even bother, because there's a lot of great companies that already, already do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, let's... Um, well, one of the things I was told, actually, is that uh, restaurants and bars really appreciate having good quality, commercially available bitters, because very often bartenders will make their own bitters but uh career of a bartender in a given uh, establishment is often very short and sometimes the recipes go with the staff right so in order to have consistency and reliability in the delivery of their cocktail program uh, uh, restaurants and bars tend to look for uh, uh, i guess uh, providers of high quality bitters where they will be able to depend on having a readily available and consistent supply well, I, and I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. My, my favorite thing about this is you actually have a distillery of sorts. We do. There you are, have fermenters and a distiller. We actually have a three-barrel microbrew system that feeds a couple of stills. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I should just say at this mm-hmm. point, too, that there are only three bitters distillers in, Ontar- in Ontario. Uh, there's us, there's uh, Dillon's in Beamsville, and there's uh, 66 Gilead in Prince Edward County. Uh, they also produce beverage alcohol. We are the of those three. We are the only one that dedicatedly produces bitters. So you guys are pretty carefully watched by authorities to make sure you're not <laughs> selling any moonshine. Uh, well, we have a data logger on our uh, electrical panel because we have so that we don't blow anything up. We have uh, electric stills. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we correlate and uh, reconcile our electricity consumption in our batches. So if we end up having to redistill something because of a, of a fault in the in the distillation, uh, we actually have to notify uh, authorities. It's a, it's a federally regulated uh, uh, sector, uh, but, but we're strange because we don't have an excise duty account. We don't have an alcohol and gaming commission manufacturer's license because we are not producing. Our, what our product is essentially is non-beverage alcoholic food products. So think in the same vein as vanilla extract. Yeah. Where the, in our case, the al- alcohol acts as a solvent and a preservative. So, what are bitters? Because I'm this is a great mm-hmm. podcast for me because I know nothing question. about this. this is what cool. is a bitter, and what is the history of bitters? Ooh. Whoa! Well, the history of bitters. I think that I'll leave that to Justin. I can talk to you more about what we do with the bitters and how we can make it worth the palate's mind and the versatility of it. Uh, Justin knows the history. He, uh, Justin is really good with the history, actually, because he took a lot of time and thought process into it so well um, thank you Gio I, uh, I I have spent a couple of years at this uh, bitters are kind of shifty they exist in a bit of a negative definition they are uh, they're cousins of tinctures uh, they were once considered patent medicines mm-hmm. it was a way for people to uh, imbibe in alcohol uh, during the prohibition years because the doctor would write you a prescription for bitters uh, good luck drinking an ounce of this stuff, though. Ours, <laughs> ours is highly concentrated. We utilize a variety of bittering agents. Our particular formulations stem from uh, uh, agriculture, ag- agricultural and botanical stock from northwestern Ontario. Um, there are a couple that are not, 
the uh, coffee bitters that we produce, at least are hand roasted in, in Thunder Bay, mm -hmm. and the cocoa nib is imported, uh, but the, um, uh, at least the, the alcohol bases are all uh, fermented and distilled. They're all produced in Thunder Bay as well. Mm -hmm. So bitters are alcohol based and herbal based, yep. and you kind of combine these two. They are liquid seasoning, so yeah. the high proof alcohol serves to draw draw out some botanicals and some flavors from things that are that where the compounds are alcohol soluble yeah some are water soluble it's like making 50 liters of a very specialized tea uh, all at once uh, the, our batches tend to be about uh, about 50 liters so we get about 500 bottles uh, uh, per batch the uh, result is that you well you I mean you so you steep it and then you subsequently cut it perhaps with a rhubarb juice or or water or some other compounds sort of give it a finishing element Clarify it because there's usually a lot of sediment, and then and then bottle it. You use it in tiny concentrations. Typically, the the dosage, the uh, the serving <laughs> size is about two milliliters. Uh, so it's uh, you know when when we sell a bottle, we tell people that you know it'll last a year unless they're really really enthusiastic about bitters, which is great. We always like those because <laughs> a little bit more repeat sales. Uh, they are uh, sort of an extension of what you said earlier, Mark. Uh, you would consider them to be a bartender salt and pepper. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, they offer a neat way, particularly in culinary applications, they offer a neat way to add flavors where you don't necessarily see them. Like we do a rosemary bitter. So if you're doing a buttermilk mashed potato, for example, I know this is obviously we're talking the constant cocktails, but uh, you know you taste it and you're like, there's rosemary there, but where is it? I don't see it. It's kind of a it's kind of the ninja ingredient mm -hmm. uh, in cocktails as well as in food. So you're sort of thinking that um, you know. Like I see here, we've got, they were lovely enough to bring some along with them. So um, we've got, I've got some all lined up in front of me, just looking mm -hmm. at them. The packaging is fantastic. Um, but you've got like arugula bitters here and you've got the rosemary, jalapeno. So you're using these for um, like rest, like food also. That's sort of, yeah, I haven't that, heard of that before. Jamie, that's absolutely right. There's, there's, there's the cocktail palette and everyone wants to enhance their drinks. Doesn't matter what you look at, uh, Manhattan's or Old Fashions or Vermouth Martinis or whatever the case may be, but uh, when we formulated uh, collectively what makes us different, and I think by choosing some of the natural ingredients that we use on a regular basis, like jalapeno or arugula or even the apple cinnamon or even the cocoa nib, like those things just change the diversity of uh, your cocktail palette, your baking palette, your cooking palette. And um, by being able to kind of come together on the spices that are used in it, uh, the sky is the limit. So, you know, I've, um, I've often thought, okay, so J Justin, what, what's the next, what, what can we do? What can be like a hit seller? What do you think people will like? And when the jalapeno came out, I actually went to a farmer's market in Thunder Bay. And then I said, uh, I, I want to make a jalapeno bitters. And, I, and Justin and I both said, how much jalapeno do you think? And I said, well, let's try a certain quantity. Well, so we did 25 pounds of jalapenos. So not only do we have our hands on it, we actually take the jalapeno, we devein it, we de-seed it, we masticate it in a juicer, we take all the juices out. But there's two, there's two elements to it. There's the pulp that remains. So I make a jalapeno pesto out of it. And I, I put it on a, a salmon last night for my friends, Justin so and, and Lindsay. It was so probably one of the best salmons I've ever made. But it gives me an opportunity to use it. So when someone says, well, what am I going to use a jalapeno bitter for? Well, well throw it in your Bloody Mary. Throw mm -hmm. it in a Caesar. Throw it in a dry vermouth martini. Mm -hmm. uh, a vodka of some sort. Um, well, the arugula, well, geez, the sky's the limit. Put it in a chili. Put it in a, in a, in a sweet vermouth. Mm -hmm. Break that sweetness down with a little bit of the earth tones and, and the leaf tones. Like the sky is a limit. Like it's just not only cocktail, but it also enhance your eating experience mm -hmm. too, right? Because you can pair uh, a bitter with a cocktail, but also pair it with your food. So I'm working on beer tails, like actual using the bitters mm -hmm. and incorporating bitters and beer and other elements to create a, a bittered beer cocktail. Like it, the, mm -hmm. you can That's do great. so many different things with it. And as, as long as you're open to criticism, one, and <laughs> failure, two, because you don't learn. I, was, I once told somebody, I said, uh, we only learn by the mistakes we make because then, then you become better at it. 
and by the mistakes that we make. Sometimes they're a rhubarb and orange bitter that becomes one of our that number one awesome sellers. Mistake. That's an awesome mistake. Yeah. Um, and the rosemary was a thought. And it's probably one of our most sought after uh, ingredients for bitters because the sky is endless to focaccia breads, to olive oil dips, mm. to pizzas, to I did it on the salmon last night as well with a little bit of drops. Mm. And like it, it's just the, that door opens up huge wide. And it complements, you know, the whiskeys and uh, the vodkas and a whole bunch of different. So we're here for 10 days at the Royal Winter Fair, and it's a rare opportunity, particularly as a manufacturer, to interact directly with the uh, consumers. And we, we, we have a good chuckle, too, because as people are walking down the aisle, uh, uh, we can pick out people that we think are the type that are going to come and get bitters. There was, this, there was this fellow, I'll never forget him, his name was Mike, and he was wearing a brown corduroy sport coat. We're like, oh, this dude, but this dude buys bitters. Right. <laughs> and, and he came up. And, uh, and, and, he, and he stuck his head in the jar of the rosemary and he, went, and he inhaled deeply and he said, I'm thinking vodka martini with dry vermouth and a little bit of brio uh, as the finish. <laughs> I'm like, holy dude. Like, like, Mike, if you're listening to the podcast, <laughs> well <done>. epic, well <laughs> done. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like Mike DeCaro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That must be Mike DeCaro. Um, so speaking of sort of the... Um, the piece of, uh, you know, try and try again, sort of being okay with failure. Oh, yeah. Explain to us the process that goes from a thought like rosemary bitters into actually making something that you can put in a bottle that you can put your name on. How many times do you have to fail at, at, at rosemary bitters Several. before you find something um, that you are proud to put a, a label on? Well, there, there's a number of different considerations. First of which is what the main constituent flavor, right? So, so bitters do two things, right? They reduce sweetness or they counteract sweetness, and then they, they add a flavor uh, to it. So, um, you know, if it's a rosemary versus a rhubarb stock, I mean, you can put, it would, you would have to put lots of rhubarb stocks in, in high proof alcohol to make it work. So in that case, what we do is we, we tend to juice uh, the rhubarb. So, First off, if you, once you pick the flavoring green, you have to figure out, in, in terms of your iterations, uh, how do you want to get that flavor into it? Do you want to, because, uh, you know, when the, when the alcohol base comes off the still, and I'll get to alcohol in a second, mm -hmm. uh, it comes off at anywhere between 82 and 85% alcohol. Uh, so it needs to be cut with something. So if it's a juice, well, that's a nice way to do the, at least the initial introduction right. of, the, of the flavor. Uh, from there, uh, we have a palette of about 20 to 22 uh, different bittering agents. So you've got your, your, your flavoring agents and then your bittering agents. And uh, yeah, the bittering agents uh, range from like black walnut leaf to gentian root to uh, cassia bark, uh, uh, wild cherry bark, uh, a lot of roots, a lot of, lot of uh, uh, barks and, and botanicals. And so you try to come up with it, you know, then you get the set and then you figure out subsequently the proportions, how much of this one? Uh, the number of times I've put too much, like gentian root is sort of generally accepted to be the main bittering agent in a lot of things from Angostura forward. Uh, boy, the number of times I've put too much of that stuff and <laughs> felt the, the like enamel ripping off my teeth <laughs> while I put the stuff in my mouth. It's, uh, yeah, it takes a while. Yeah. And that's the cool thing because you have to actually try to marriage the right mm -hmm. spices. And if, if you get to that right spice, then you've got the voila mm -hmm. factor, right? But sometimes, like Justin said, there's like, whoa. This is too Holy much. man! Wow. <laughs> My eyes are watering, and I can't make them stop. <laughs> and, and the other thing too, in the final piece, when we talk about the alcohol base, uh, the, the, I like to make the distinction between bitters formulators and and bitters distillers. Uh, not to say that they're any better or worse than the other, but when you if you're a formulator, you're buying bulk ethanol. It's got no flavor. It is your your classic neutral spirit. Uh, you have to use a fair number of very complex. Uh, uh, botanicals in order to get an interesting flavor. There's some phenomenal uh, uh, bitters formulators uh, in town. Of course, I'll go to BYOB. We'll I'm sure we'll yeah. talk about BYOB at some point. Uh, but what we do is we actually start with uh, potato vodka, or we start with uh, blackstrap molasses rum, or uh, hard red spring wheat whiskey. Uh, and, and so we start with a bit of a flavor base. We try to pair, for instance, the coffee and the cocoa both benefit from this spectacular blackstrap molasses rum we make. We actually buy uh, uh, molasses in bulk uh, here in Toronto. It comes from the sugar refinery. We bring it up to Thunder Bay. We ferment it, and then uh, we, we distill it 
to our, uh, our input proof, and then we go from there. So you really have to be quite fanatical about bitters to distill your own. Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All your own spirit because you don't have to. There, there's a lot of options no, out there. No, there are you. a lot of options out there, and, and you know, you you always have that temptation to cheat. Well, not cheat, but yeah. you know, well, what if we were to just use a use a concentrate instead of this? No, you know what? Let's make the commitment to do uh, to do this the way we would want to. First off, because it's repeatable. Secondly, because we're very proud of the other agricultural producers that work with us when I so I should also say we're relatively new the stills first turn on the 3rd of May this year <laughs> after a couple of years of planning and uh, could not get a farmer to grow a damn thing for us <laughs> to start uh, now uh, Gio would you care to talk about the <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> he gets phone calls uh, every week I have a uh, we go to I go to farmers markets in Thunder Bay often uh, they have a, a fantastic um, blend of individuals that really provide really good quality organic foods um, so when I go there I my mind is thinking well what can we do and when we first started um, when I first joined actually there was a, a line of three bitters there was the rhubarb with rum there was the rhubarb with orange bitter and then there was the coffee bitter and then that's where uh, my my I'm not a cook by any means I'm not a chef but I love to cook and I love to drink and who doesn't love to have a good cocktail or uh, or something so I looked at it and says well geez let's let's create something and and they're all just mental creations they're all like what can we do the arugula was something that was uh, in the works prior to me joining uh, Justin uh, but uh, from three and a half I guess you can say to eight successful different flavors of bitters um, and it goes to show that organic farmers I have a good friend of mine who is in Thunder Bay, um, and as soon as I say I need something, mm -hmm. I get a phone call. So the rosemary bitters was kind of like that. Let's see if we can do it. Let's see if it Let's works. Let's try it first. Yeah. Let's try it first. And when I when I, I asked, I says, I, "What do you think will yield the best flavor? A dried rosemary or a fresh rosemary?" And he said, "Do a dried rosemary. It'll probably yield the the, the most flavors. And once you saturate it, all those botanics come out and the oils." Like, oh. Okay, I'll try it. So I have a whole bunch of rosemary hanging, drying out. <laughs> so right next to his uh, calabrese. Eh? Right beside my calabrese, yeah. So not only do I get Basement to eat it, I get to enjoy mm. it too. And then all of a sudden, it just it developed into something that, uh, for me, was uh, humbling because it was just a thought. And and I have people, we have people coming there and they're saying, "Oh my God, that is amazing!" Like, and that's kind of like a. a you know, a handshake or a pat on the back saying, I think it works. It does work. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. And then you guys even giving us the opportunity just to come here and actually speak about it because, yeah, I'm relatively new in, in all this. And um, But let me tell you, it's, it's a fun ride so far. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, I actually, um, I was able to do two old fashions uh, yesterday um, with, I did the... Rhubarb and bitter orange mm, and um, with a little orange zest. And I did apple and cinnamon old-fashioned, which was <laughs> exceptional. Um, so, I mean, it just... It's so interesting because um, orange really lends itself to old-fashioned. Like, that was sort sure. of a, a natural... Classic botanical. Yeah, classic. Um, but I was like, I'm sort of... I don't know if you know this, but I love the fall. No. And any, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've gone on and on about it on the podcast yet. Um, <laughs> but I was like, ooh, we could do an apple and cinnamon old fashioned. And just, it just is, it's that perfect balance of like sweetness because you don't want your, you don't want your old fashioned to um, be overly sweet. You want the spirit to come through and you want, and, and I think it's a super delicate balance that I think you guys hit really well. Like that, you know, it's, it's there and it's sort of this like undertone this really lovely sort of exclamation point and it's not it's not overpowering and it's not uh, and it's not supposed to be it's supposed to be there as, as sort of like a, a gentle reminder especially when I, how I make old fashions <laughs> um, but it's it's it was great I mean like you you know this I, I'm so excited because I actually have some at home and I get to experiment I did like a little 
list of all the different like classic cocktails you could use all these in and um, oh could you share that list with us We're sure yeah 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 like i can imagine like the jalapeno bitters in a mojito would be yeah. just like exceptional we'd actually like, even talked about using it in a gin and tonic yes for <laughs> sure because that like if you use like if you smash a cucumber like those those sort of like jalapeno and cucumber right. are great and mm. and mint and jalapeno are really great so you know there's a lot that can be done with that as far as i'm concerned and um no i'm i i think this is great there's a lot of options here and i think like well i can go uh, i'll ask each of you this what's your favorite cocktail to make with your bitters Right now. I know it'll probably change in six months. But well, and that's actually true. My, so the first product, my first love, in yes. the, in the, it was the coffee bitters. Right. Uh, I will place coffee bitters in a bourbon old-fashioned oh with gosh. maple syrup as the sweetening agent, and then I will finish it with amaranth cherries and a little bit of orange peel. Gorgeous. Uh, also tried to make, unsuccessfully tried to make, uh, uh, was it marmalade? So we had a whole bunch of Seville. I ended up with Seville orange simple syrup. Uh, as an alternative with with candied seville orange rind oh yeah i i was making me miss home thinking about this because i can't make that here what about you what's your go-to right now uh actually i developed uh and i talk about it a lot because i'm i'm a beer drinker as well i like to Mm -hmm. i like to enjoy beer so i have a stout that's uh, made in thunder bay it's skull rock it's a sleeping giant product Mm. so it's in the lcbo here Think. They might have it here at the LCBO. Okay. Yeah, they might. So what I've done was I take I've taken the stout, and I've utilized the coffee bitters because it complements it so well. Sure. But then I changed it up completely. So I actually used a clamato mix, my own Caesar mix, and I've used horseradish and salt and pepper, a little bit of Worcester mm-hmm. and Tabasco, mm-hmm. and I've developed a Caesar stout, Whoa. and I've had such wonderful responses from it. It's wow. been it's been, it's one of those, my, it's like a meat in a glass. I like to have yeah. it before I start things off. Yeah. Really, really nice. It's subtle. It's not too overpowering, but it just, it just works together. And you just, you put the thing, you're like, it's not, it's not going to work. Like, don't be silly. Yeah. But once you do it, you don't know unless you try. And that's the, going back to successes and failures. So if I never tried it, I would never know. Um, so that's my favorite beer, but cocktail wise, jeez. Uh, Anything, anything with a nice whiskey or a bourbon or a rye mm-hmm. or something, and I use the uh, I use the coffee a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin's surprised I put it in my espressos. Well, I don't coffees. get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. I'm glad you brought this up. There's a lot of people say, "Oh, you have coffee bitters. You should put it in your coffee." Why? Yeah, that's a good question. Why? Well, because if you're adding coffee flavor to coffee, it's lost. I mean, I, I get it. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the bittering agents obviously you don't have gentian root in coffee regularly, or or uh, you certainly don't have rum, and this is like work friendly because it's like only one or two milliliters. Go, yeah. Well, <laughs> if, you, if you think about it though, if you think about an espresso or a coffee, someone puts a brandy or someone puts Grand Marnier in their coffee. Yeah. Well, why not put a rum with a little bit of flavor to it? Yeah. And there is that spice. And once so, you put it in that heated coffee, the the spice is just... Now that we've right got out. the cousin, though, the coconut bitter, I get it. Uh, <laughs> right? Yes. And then and then if yes. you're making hot chocolate, I'd never put coconut bitters in it. Right. I would put the coffee, coffee bitters in it. Right. So it's like the reverse riff on a, on a mocha, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's right. right. That's right. Oh, that's hilarious. I, that, that's awesome. Um, I already got a, I already got a dirty stare over my small bitter collection of one in this household. <laughs> yeah, I'm furious. I was like, "What is that?" West what? Indian orange bitter, and a- it's even a glycerin bitter, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> Uh, well, that actually sort of leads into one of my next question, which is, are you guys going to do your version of an Agnostura at all? Or are you like, Agnostura is out there, it's sort of there, and, and they do a great job, Agnostura is Well, it, it, I, I, personally, I think it would be ridiculous for us to compete with Agnostura. We love Agnostura. I have right. a bottle in my, in my pantry oh. and in yes. my bar. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, like, I, like Gio said earlier, the, uh, the rhubarb with bitter orange was, was a happy mistake because yeah. we tried to use the orange, bitter orange as a modifier to the, to the rhubarb, but the rhubarb was so sour and the other bitter agents were so strong, the, it just walked right over it and it ended up, you know, it, so we, so we have a citrus ish kind of bitter, mm-hmm. but that's as far as we're going to go. Cause yeah. we're, tr- we're trying to keep. As much as we can, we're trying to keep to botanicals that can be sourced uh, in Ontario, in Northwestern Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a, you know, speaking of failures, we tried our damnedest to do a, 
uh, uh, blueberry, wild blueberry uh, bitter mm-hmm. using a hopped whiskey. Two things went wrong there. <laughs> uh, first of which, we couldn't get enough. It was a bad crop of blueberries. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we tried to partner with some... very bad with blueberries, yeah. Yeah, well, we tried to partner with the First Nation to, to gather it to provide some employment and, you know, gives us a great uh, great source, too. So, I mean, this is, this is important to us up in northwestern Ontario. Uh, so that was one problem. The second problem... I wanted to do it with a hopped whiskey base, and this was before Geo's time. I went and grabbed two kegs of Sleeping Giant Brewing Company's Northern Lager, and it was it's beautiful beer, um, a relatively low level of, of hops in it, because of course hops, if if you're if you're hopping a whiskey, uh, then you actually put in the hops for the concentration of the final volume. So if you have a hundred gallons of beer, for example, you want to put in enough hops for the five gallons of whiskey that's going to come off the end otherwise it'll be 20 times more hop than it's supposed to be yeah. so i was ready for that i really wanted that anyway because i was you know i was thinking the 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 hops would be a nice bittering agent especially against right. the, the the blueberry well <clears throat> so when you so i got bright beer it wasn't it wasn't didn't get to the to the final carbonation stage but it was still fermented in a closed tank and of course the carbon dioxide that comes off from the from the yeast mm-hmm. uh, it, it carbonated the beer I had a foam party <laughs> when I put it in the still and it boiled it was like shaking the end of a bottle of champagne and spraying it around it was oh. atrocious that was very sad That's so amazing. we're, we're going to try an open vat fermentation on the same beer because yeah. uh, we really I mean the Sleeping Giant Brewing Company has been very good to us um, you know we get yeast strains from them every now and then um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a nice sort of non-competitive collaborative industry which is really interesting because yeah. uh, you don't see that in a lot of different uh, mm-hmm. different in- industries, yeah. The only other time I made a that was that we call that a three figure mistake because that was Yeesh. you know several hundred bucks. I made a four Ooh. figure mistake once. Oh, <sighs> <laughs> so, like I said, we have a three barrel, so about a about a hundred and thirty gallon vessel um, um, beer batching system. So we can make eight kegs at a time if we were a craft brewer. Right. So. A uh, farmer uh, just west of Thunder Bay had grown some hard red spring wheat, and he's a miller, and he cracked it, and he said, you know, it's not malted. You'll have to add amylase, but you can mash this and turn it into a hard red spring wheat whiskey. Oh, yes. So I had an academic understanding of how to do this. <laughs> I dumped 250 pounds of this wheat into the mash tun, and I had 170-odd degree Fahrenheit, stri- you know, strike water, etc., the whole bit. And then I added the amylase at the right temperature, but unfortunately, the natural yeasts in the wheat got to it first. I had a 450 liters of rancid cream of wheat. Oh, it was horrible. I ended up having to call a septic suck- sucking truck oh. in a honey wagon <laughs> to come in and empty the mash tun. That was the well, <laughs> and it had just come from a septic tank. Oh, it was so so oh. ugly. And, and yeah, so I mean. That, it, but I mean, much better at it now. But you, sometimes you got to learn, right? It's a humbling experience yeah. when these types of things happen. And the uh, you know the the fellow running the truck, he said, you know, I've seen a lot of different things. This I have never seen. Oh. <laughs> There's a first for everything. There is a first oh. for everything. Oh, That's it was a pain. You should talk about what we're drinking. Yeah, you? we should. Um, it's weird that we didn't. I, Justin, I know, has good taste in whiskey because he, he just went with his first choice. He was like, boom. boom. What are you drinking, Justin? I am drinking Colonel E.H. Taylor Barrel Proof. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, have you had it before? I, I have. Uh, I knew what I was getting into. Um, yeah, there's uh, for, for listeners uh, who haven't had the occasion to visit the studio, there's a phenomenal whiskey cabinet here. And I, I think I actually jumped towards the whiskey cabinet when I saw this because I, I haven't had this in a long time yeah. and it's 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 like coming home yeah. oh it's so nice it was the one that glowed for you like everything it else just, was kind it, of a blur that yeah, was yeah yeah it was like this light came down from the ceiling <laughs> yeah that's how I feel about it too uh, we are kindred spirits <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right Giovanni I am drinking a wonderful Masterson's 10 year old uh, straight rye whiskey and that's uh, I will be honest my first time having it and it is absolutely Delicious! It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had the Massachusetts on the show before. It's a Canadian-made uh, 100% rye whiskey that is sold in the U.S. It's sold through a U.S. bottler, so you can get it in Canada, but it's primarily a, intended for the U.S. audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually drinking Basil Hayden, um, which is interesting because it's 
Uh, it's, I think, well, a lot of people think it's sort of like a starter bourbon. Like if you like scotch and um, if you're sort of just getting into bourbon, it's a great one to go uh, in with. It's high rye. Um, it's 80 proof, and that's why I'm drinking it, because I haven't eaten yet today. So I wanted to make sure I could stay coherent. <laughs> so I'm just sipping on a little bit of Basil Hayden. It's lovely. I, I honestly, like, you know, this one um, sort of went away from me for a little bit. But it's, um, you know, you should always have a bottle of it kicking around, because it's uh, it's useful for people who aren't maybe necessarily whiskey drinkers yet. I had a lovely old gentleman from Paducah, Kentucky, tell me that... <laughs> Basil Hayden bourbon is the bourbon to drink when you're having proper Kentucky mutton. So if you should find there yourself you. in Thunder Bay, <laughs> I am also a, a well, not pro- semi-professional. I, I'm, a, I'm an enthusiast, amateur, quasi-professional barbecuer, and I can make a yes. mean, uh, uh, moonlight barbecue, hey. mean mutton. Oh, yeah. That's great. So. Well, I will consider that an official invitation. Absolutely, you should. <laughs> because I love barbecue. I'll be there. You'll bring the bourbon in the air That's flight. That's right. That's right. Exactly. I also have a bottle of E.H. Taylor Barrel Proof at home. So. Right. And uh, I'm drinking the, uh, I'm really kind of getting, I uh, really like this product, the Gooderham and Warts. It's a new, it's a four grain uh, Canadian whiskey, brand new product. It's out of, uh, from Corby, uh, that is behind Weiser's and Lot 40. So if you're familiar with Lot 40, it's the same, mm, same 40. company. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's a four grain. It's got, uh, you know, the usual three. And so it's got rye, barley and corn, but it also has a bit of wheat. Um, I'm always very skeptical about wheat that doesn't give you a lot of added, you know, real flavor. Um, makers and, would disagree. You know, well, certainly yes. with, like, with oaky, very oaky whiskeys like Maker's Mark and Pappy, that it gives a space for that for for the uh, oak to kind of really come through um, on a whiskey that's already got rye in it. Eh. But I really like this, so I don't know if it's the wheat or whatever else. But it's uh, uh, for me, it's kind of the direction I want. Like, I would like to see Canadian whiskey go because it mm-hmm. has very familiar kind of sweetness that Canadian whiskey has. Um, but it, it's far more dry than I'm used to. And I'm really liking that. I'm, I'm still just I only had this at a couple of tastings and just got the bottle. Um, but I'm uh, really, uh, really, really enjoying this whiskey. Yeah, I snuck a glass of that yeah. too. Yeah. Um, um, is it because Gooderhead and Wurtz is the name of the distillery that was in the distillery district? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Yeah, they, but it's not um, made there. They bought bought by Corby's in like the '80s, and then they used to make their stuff in Corby's Distillery, and then Corby's closed down the distillery and sold. Uh, sorry, kept their name, but they started using Hiram Walker as the main uh, as the main main place that they. Uh, make their whiskey. So um, there's no longer a distillery there. Uh, well, there's a distillery district. It's a beautiful part of Toronto. Well, sure it's is. gorgeous, um, yeah. But they no longer, well, they make sake. sake they there. do make sake. Yeah. So they make something yeah. there, but not whiskey. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a brand, but I think it's, I like this. I like that they're bringing back kind of a very popular Canadian name, kind of that tradition heritage, and mm-hmm. and they're bringing that back to, in the form of whiskey, and that's great. And they used to make whiskey, obviously, so it, yeah. it all works out. It's uh, it's actually gorgeous packaging. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful bottle. It's like very it pretty. looks wonderful. They did such a great job on it. Like, um, I think uh, I'm a sucker for a nice label. So um, <laughs> that is that I would be very happy with on a bar. Yeah, it's got a very nice product display. Too, yeah, for sure. it's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So down the aisle from us in the Northern Ontario Agri Food Pavilion at the Royal Winter Fair is a, a marketer of quinoa. Have you got? Have you ever had? Um, uh, Corsair Artisan Distillery's Quinoa Whiskey? No. Oh, no. dude. Oh, 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 yeah. Really? I, I, I see a future episode on alternative grain whiskeys. Yes. That, that would be That would be it. Um, I may be able to swing some type of connection by way of the American Distillers Institute. I had a good fortune of listening to Derek Bell speak. Mm-hmm. He's the he's the proprietor. He's a very busy guy, but uh, if there's anybody you want to have discussing alternative grains and, and alternative smoking methods in woods, uh, he's a, he's a spectacular. He's a he's a ninja. This guy. He's very very good. That is very cool. I, I did a lot of research once to see like if if every legal form of whiskey has been made, so quinoa is a good example. Like, no, every, pretty much every kind of whiskey, any sort of grain time ha- has been used um, to make it considered a whiskey, but I've never had a quinoa-based no, whiskey. No, no. Or the, um, what's the uh, millet whiskey from, uh, oh, it's in Chicago. What are they called? Koval. Koval. Koval Distillery. And the other thing, too, um, and I'm starting to realize that actually sorghum whiskey 
is uh, is a pretty popular. I mean, the, so there's an unaged sorghum spirit. It's called Maotai. Uh, it would be very very popular in uh, sort of northeast Toronto, I would imagine. I, my father uh, married a woman from China, and and they brought a bottle back. It looks like barbecue lighter fluid. It's in a white <laughs> ceramic uh, bottle with a red lid. And uh, uh, Gio and I got on the wrong side of that bottle uh, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've had friends that had very similar experiences. I've yet to taste it. I'm it's like, voodoo, man. It's yeah. voodoo. But it's, it, you know, uh, uh, I mean, sorghum does grow in Ontario. It'd be interesting to see, uh, particularly if at some point we see a, a, a relaxation a of some of the excise yeah. duty. Uh, you know, LCBO markup. We're not going to get into the Jesse and Charles discussion from Farmer yeah. Distillery anytime soon. But I, you know, especially for smaller producers, this is why we focus on bitters because it's something that we can do at a five thousand bottle a month uh, uh, volume where yeah. we can satisfy uh, international sales uh, and in domestic market. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it is. Um, if you look at like parts of the world that support whiskey making and don't, Ontario's definitely does not support their, their craft whiskey makers. It hurts. Um, and even, you know, I mean, there's other places, in the States it's all over the place. It depends sure. on local tax laws and regulations, but Ontario, it, they struggle and it's, it's very expensive for them to do what they do. We would love, the plan is uh, one day within five years that we will have a whiskey distillery and it will be supported by the cash flows from a bitters distillery. However, it will be in probably Grand Marais, Minnesota. Uh, the combined, like if you're if you're talking about uh, uh, the combined federal and provincial excise duty burdens, taxes, fees, levies, etc., you're looking at about in in Thunder Bay at least, especially because they charge freight too. You're looking at about 78% of the sale price going to the federal and provincial government. Uh, the combined state and federal uh, tax. I, I know you're not. This isn't a podcast about tax, but it's 14%. No, no, but 14%. Yeah. So it's like it's like a quarter of the burden. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the plan is that we would have uh, uh, bitters production in Canada, and then we would have spirit production in the U.S. That that just makes good sense. Well, yeah. I am a tax guy, former tax go. guy. So. <laughs> it would be. It's a good complementing tool too, because then we could mm-hmm. take our our knowledge from what we do with bitters and just actually kind of uh, parlay it into. Uh, yep. whiskey venture and mm-hmm. I think that would just be particularly as bitters world. distillers it's the same core skill that's uh, exactly yeah, um, yeah it, it's 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 fun it's, it's so exciting trying to just create things and listen to people and I do a lot of listening and uh, when people talk and at the, at, the, at the fair at the real fair we're we're surprised on how many individuals actually go towards the bitters and are curious, mm-hmm. never used it, but all of a sudden their minds just like, oh, well, do you bake? Do you cook? Do you drink? You know, we drink, we bake, we cook. Here we go. This is what you can do. And it's like, wow, their minds are just like blown away. Like, you can do that with this. I'm like, well, why not? You can do anything with you can do anything with anything as long as your your mind is flexible enough. It's like yeah. enjoying a good whiskey. Yeah, it's the first time I've ever thought after talking to you guys the other night. Um, I had never considered using bitters and baking before, but it just it makes, makes sense. sense. Like, why wouldn't you? Of course, of it's course. It's the Martha Stewart thought. It just, it, it just is. feels right. It's just, it's just there. It's, it's it a is. good thing. It's, it's a good, good thing. thing. It's a good thing. And it is. And the nice thing is that I actually do it. I actually use it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm not just saying something. Not saying, only are we distillers, mm-hmm. we're also consumers. <laughs> well, and I've taken, I've taken pictures of of my things that I've created. I've written down recipes that I've recreated. I've had uh, Justin and Lindsay, who have, uh, have been my guinea pigs, who I create things for them, and um, I have no problem sharing my thoughts. Uh, I've asked people to impart their knowledge and their recipes and what they do with their cocktails and, and, their, and their baking. Um, I think it's just a valuable tool for us to sell, mm-hmm. not, not only, but to uh, say, you know, it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a MasterChef Canada, uh, um, Merida um, Mohammed, who was doing a cook-off today at the Royal Farron, she used my bitters in a, in a pierogi type of uh, raspberry filling thing. And, wow. Um, <clears throat> cool. I had the oppor- opportunity and pleasure to dis- dis- discuss what bitters were to 150 people that don't even know what bitters were, and they were passed around throughout the people, throughout the, the group. And I was like, wow, you know, that's kind of cool because she had no idea we'd created bitters, and then she took the jalapeno bitters, and she says, I'm from Trinidad. I use Angostura's all the time, and mm-hmm. this is fantastic. And we just did a wonderful thing with Trinidad with Angostura, and now she's using our bitters to make recipes. Like, that's a huge compliment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's really nice. That's 
Fantastic. Where can we get your bitters, guys? Well, uh, in Toronto, at least, yeah. the crafty bartender, oh, sorry, well, that's online sales there, not in, there in Port Perry. Uh, BYOB Cocktail Emporium. Yes. Um, Kristen Voise. Big fan of hers. Took a wonderful chance on us at the beginning. I, I, I called her because she was the only one that I could find who retailed bitters in a storefront. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. said, absolutely, come on. You know, yeah. well, so uh, so uh, huge props to her. She's been, she's been very good to us. Yes. Uh, Thecraftybartender.com. Uh, uh, Donna and Kennedy Perez, I don't know if you know them. They've been in the, in the uh, bar business for decades. And uh, so they, they have a, the business is based in Port Perry. Um, they supply a lot of uh, specialty cocktail supply stores. So if you're in a specialty grocery store that carries bitters, more than likely they buy them from uh, the crafty bartender. So that would be another way to get it. Uh, we have some listings on Amazon.ca. <clears throat> and we have a lot of listeners in the U.S. So well, the so then, so let's the let's talk about barproducts.com then yeah. in uh, Key Largo, Florida. Uh, we're right. actually just shipping our first shipment to their distribution center in Indiana. Nice. Um, uh, we have had discussions thus far with like Cocktail Kingdom and and uh, Barkeeper in uh, L.A., uh, the uh, the Boston Shaker in Waltham, Massachusetts. They're all very interested. It takes a little while to go through the through the process, mm-hmm. yeah. but uh, uh, they've been very very well received. And uh, yeah, and if uh, if anybody uh, you know if, if if you are a retailer who might be interested in carrying them, uh, uh, reach out to Mark and Jamie and we'd be quite, quite happy to uh, to send some samples and get a starting point. Yeah, we'll have yeah. contact information in the show notes so you can yeah. of course. go direct with you guys and all yeah. that. That's great. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, yeah, thank you. So bitters are basically like whiskey, except instead of being aged in wood, you age them in herbs and other exactly. things. Exactly. <laughs> the alcohol is all about the extraction. So and in this case, it, it's, got, it's, a, it. it's a modifier, right? It's yeah. not there to change it. It's, it's not there to, to like completely transform it. It's there to just sort of nudge the needle a little bit, introduce some flavors and some balance where it might not otherwise be. I mean, what, what is the content of a bottle of bitters? It depends on what it is. The rhubarb bitters are about 35% by volume. Uh, the uh, the coffee bitters are ninety proof, forty forty five percent, and uh, usually they settle somewhere between forty and and forty five. Um, and again, what we do, kind of like your whiskey tastings, is we will it will get it at hundred proof, mm-hmm. and then we'll do a hundred, ninety, eighty, yeah. seventy. And then we'll do a sort of an array, and we'll zero in on the proof that makes the most sense for for what it is. And uh, yeah, uh, so. And, and you're not taxed in any way, shape, or form as no, alcohol. No, we got a CRA. Nobody could possibly drink an ounce of this. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> would, exactly that it. <laughs> that, and, you know, the, the legal definition of it is non-potable, which makes it sound like you can't drink it. Well, <laughs> you can't drink it in large quantities, but you can use it as a, as a food ingredient. But yeah. uh, uh, because it's a food ingredient, because it's not something you consume on its own, it is actually exempt in Ontario and many other jurisdictions from provincial and federal sales tax. So it's a... You know, that the price is the price. Taxman found the loophole. Well, you know. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is this is my what I bring to the party. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, it's, the bitters are like uh, like your whiskey cabinet or your your bar. It's you don't have just one. Mm-hmm. You have many, and we are we we uh, gladly carry a number of different types yeah. of bitters. Ours are unique. Ours are tasteful. Ours are, are versatile. Um, not saying that the other bitters aren't, but a good a good uh, enthusiast or whiskey drinker or bitters drinker has not just one but many, and they celebrate the craft, right? Mm-hmm. And we celebrate the craft. Well, there there's some phenomenal bit like uh, Bitter Cube in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Totally got to give the shouts to the other ones. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they they uh, they they produce uh, one ounce bottles, relatively small, yeah. but like. Uh, uh, cherry or, or Jamaican jerk or you know they've got all sorts of really interesting things uh, uh, locally in Toronto uh, Carol and Company I think makes a phenomenal blueberry bitter uh, it, you know and that, that's the other thing too I mean you know we produce a rhubarb bitter and, and Dylan's produces a rhubarb bitter but they're, they couldn't be more different right. Uh, right. Uh, so even if the flavors are the same they're not the same um, uh, Dylan's tends to use a uh, spirit that's produced from refuse grapes from from wineries, which yeah. lends a completely different character again. 
um, uh, Carolyn Company. I mean, they, they use cardamom in their in their blueberry bitters, and it, it's a it's a wonderfully sweet. Like it makes me think of, of bread, frankly, when I when I smell it. And I I love it. I, I and that's one that I really enjoy putting in soda water. So you know, by no means take this as specifically an indoor. I mean, it's nice nice that you've had us here to talk about our bitters, but uh, uh, definitely take the time to uh, go to your local cocktail supply store and explore uh, what some of the other bitters are because uh, I mean we certainly won't make everything we make uh, mm-hmm. uh, we make stuff that makes sense for for uh, for our region and, and what grows in our region and uh, a lot of very very interesting bitters uh, I once had a, a well a, he's a manager of a paper mill that's a true northern Ontario uh, <laughs> yeah. expression he, he said to me he said and he's he's from he's from Montreal he said you know I'm, I like the Peychauds. I drink it in my Sazerac. Uh, when you make a Peychauds bitter, you let me know. I said, how about you just go and buy some Peychauds? <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to try a Sazerac with a rhubarb a bitter, rhubarb, yeah. come talk to me, right? That's I mean, right. that's and, that, and that, that's it. I mean, it, it's, not a, it's not a hyper-competitive space. I mean, everybody's mm-hmm. got a different take on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, depending on what it is you're making, you'll find something that's right for you. Is there like a Jack Daniels or a... Coca-Cola bitter world where they just make all the bitters for and like that's the oh like like uh, Lawrenceburg Indiana you mean or yeah yeah like the guys that just make so much bitters (laughs) and they're everywhere well you know I I would think so now I'm thinking of there's one in Queens and they make a they make a smoked habanero bitter Uh, what are they called why does the name escape me right now oh yeah it's really you know i i feel really bad not thinking of it right now because we traded bottles with them we sent them a bottle of our coffee bitters and they sent they sent the smoke to habanero bitters back to us hella bitters hella bitters there you go yeah Uh, awesome guys yeah um um, yeah i mean they i mean they're they're sort of the uh, in terms of the craft bitters they're kind of the overnight success story they had a little bit of recognition and boom all of a sudden they're selling like fifteen thousand bottles a month uh you know so i I love seeing things like that i mean they they open the door right i mean they Mm -hmm. you know everybody has their own palette and then as people grow accustomed to that they look to expand it again um uh, don and kennedy the crafty bartender folks that i that i mentioned uh, they have about 400 bitters on their bar. Wow. It takes over their kitchen. I mean, you've got a nice, clean area here, but yeah, they're, they're, it's, wow. it's incredible. Well, I mean, and they're the Canadian representatives for a lot of these too. Yeah. So. Um, R&D wise, anything on the horizon, anything you're working on right now that we might see? Any additions to the collection? Well, I, uh, we're, we've been, I mean, you don't have to tell us, but no, you no. can give us a scoop if you want. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think the, the green labels, so all, all of our labels are different colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are more close than others, but the idea is that, the idea was originally that if you were behind a bar, you can tell them apart. Right. Um, uh, although they've also got little bits of uh, art on them, like the cocoa nib has, oh, yeah. has chocolate in it, and the coffee bean has little coffee beans in it. We've been talking very seriously about doing a mint bitter. I think that Whoa. would just complement so many drinks. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 And wide in a wide variety too. It's just mm-hmm. I think mint is one of those almost those staple spices or mm-hmm. ingredients mm-hmm. that you can use on anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would complement a whiskey, it would complement a vodka, it would complement a vermouth, it would complement uh, many palettes in, on your on your cocktail list. So yeah, it's one of those things yeah. we've been seriously once again we always talk about, you know, red, the availability and um, local suppliers of and if, it, if we can get if we can achieve it in, on, in northwestern Ontario or, or the surrounding areas that's the key for us and I, I think it's something that we could probably do it's just you know based on concentration and, and quality we can get out of it and is uh, I think I think it'd be widely received um, but once again we just gotta one sure works. Uh, w- one real advantage we have is that in Thunder Bay we have adjacent to us one of the largest urban uh, Aboriginal reserves in Canada it's called Fort William First Nation and there's a fellow there who is an Anishinaabeg medicine man. Um, so of course, I mean, we, we've talked briefly about how bitters have a have a sort of a medicinal history. Mm-hmm. He, he has offered up his expertise in formulating bitters using traditional Anishinaabeg medicine practices. Which, wow. I, you know, there are, there are, there are some who say, oh, that's a bit sacrilegious that you're you're taking this and you're put, you're putting it through the cocktail lens. But right. there are others who say, listen, you know, this is a, this is a tremendous opportunity. And uh, we, we will get an opportunity to spend some time with him uh, in the spring. 
and then uh, come uh, July and August when the medicine picking happening happens. So this is like your sage bitters maybe, or, yeah. or sage will be a component in it, or right. goldenrod. Or, yeah. It's kind of funny because you, you don't want to have flavors that are so obtuse that people will say, huh, that's nice, put it on the shelf, right. and then never touch it again. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there could be some phenomenal opportunities to do some really interesting, interesting flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even ginseng has crossed uh, our paths yep. in terms mm-hmm. of a ginseng. Angelica bitters. root. Angelica root. Um, Wormwood, which yeah, isn't grown locally, but yeah, there's 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 the palate. It's huge. Like you can do so yeah. much. Like it's awesome. And of course, now that we've got the federal liberal government <laughs> prepared to legalize marijuana, we have been asked right. if we would do a hemp bitter. Uh, well, <laughs> the the time may come for that. Uh, however, there is I I can swear on a stack of Bibles that there is no current experimentation happening with that until such time as there is a regulatory regime change. There you go. There you go. That's, so if the RCMP yep. is listening, I was going to say now it's uh, you know it's out there, but it's we're out good. there. Yeah, right here on this little machine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That'd be really cool. I don't know what I'd use it in, but... <laughs> well, there wouldn't be enough in, like, a cocktail to make... Oh, no. Yeah, not even... No, but the really herbal flavor... Like, I, I yeah, immediately go to um, Zubrovka, you know, the, the, the bison grass yeah, 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 Polish yeah. vodka. Well, yeah, you know, I'm sure, we can, I'm sure we can find some way to work a, work a really grassy kind of herbal taste into that. We can, I mean, we can, we can finish on like Mark got a haircut and it looks great. <laughs> his, his little undertones of silver tips looks that's pretty right, good. That's oh, right. yes, my ass. We can talk about <laughs> my haircut. <laughs> it's a fresh shave this morning. <laughs> Face for radio, me. <laughs> uh, it was so great that you guys came by. I'm really glad we got to make this happen. And, and we, we've chatted on Twitter before, so it was actually really awesome to, uh, had the opportunity to talk to you guys and and really see what you do mm-hmm. and uh, it was great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Both. Thank you guys. Thank it's you for having me. us. Yeah, it's been fun. And thank you for introducing me to a Sotelnwood Finnish uh, whiskey the other night because yeah. I think that you know I looked at it and and you know Mark uh, you're, you're the devil on the shoulder, dude. Do it. <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was really uh, he is the worst at that. <laughs> I, know. I get in so much trouble because it's like, oh no, you should definitely finish this bottle. Like, yeah, oh no, you should enjoy. definitely have this 120 proof. Absolutely, Jamie. It's a great, it's a great idea. idea. It's four o'clock in the morning. It's okay. Yeah. You'll it's be okay. fine. You'll be fine. You can fine. sleep for an hour it's and then go to the, the airport. Yeah. We're all we're all gonna win here. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing fine. We're doing fine. We raise the roof down.